Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To your old Graps Express, I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. What else could we talk about other than WXW 16 karat gold? I know it seems like it was a couple of weeks ago now and it, it it's kind of fallen at a funny time. We do these episodes every two weeks and it was happening while I was recording the last episode. Uh, and I think that's been quite a nice thing in a way because it's felt like this event has has percolated and bubbled a little bit. I've had quite a few people uh, ask me for recommended matches. It feels like a lot of people are talking about this and it's it's getting a little bit more buzz than it it would have got last year or the year before, which is obviously fan, you know brilliant, isn't it? You know what a, what a great thing to have happened. It's a proper festival of wrestling. It's takes place over three days and there's there's two shows every day. There's three main shows. So if you were just gonna go through and select the main shows, you just watch night one, two and three of sixteen karat gold. But then you've got ambition, a wheel of wrestling and uh, an inner circle show to, to keep you busy as well. I'm just mainly gonna talk about the uh the, the actual carrot nights for this. The carrot nights, that sounds odd, doesn't it? The actual carrot nights for this. Uh but we're gonna to touch on all the shows. I've watched absolutely everything. Um and it's a really great promotion to watch WXW. I, I have to admit when I did sort of a year in review thing, just myself, I went back and had a look at all the numbers that did well and um, I had a look at, at the sort of the episodes that I enjoyed doing the most and, and episodes where I think I did well and, and where I needed to improve. And one of the big things that I noticed is that I wasn't talking about WXW enough. Um, like I say, they're a very unique promotion in Germany and they have a feel to them that's really unique. They really prioritise pushing their own people. So yes, you're going to see the wrestlers that wrestled there in other places. You know, there are going to be some familiar names here to us, like Peter Tiani, Arrows of Hungary, Mike D, and then there's some international stars like um, like Commander and Arez and people like that. But generally speaking, they prioritise pushing their own guys and telling stories with their people that, you know, you, you to get that, you have to watch WXW. 
And the crowds there are always fantastic. They really get behind it. And it feels like when you watch these shows, there's a palpable buzz in the air. There's just something about them that, that, that makes you want to watch and keep going. And even if you don't understand all the stories, um, even if you if you don't keep up with everything, because I watch the big events. I don't always watch the Wheel of Wrestlings and that sort of thing. Just because of time as much as anything. I've got to watch a bit of everything, haven't I, for this sort of show. But I think at times like this, and, and, and having sat for the last two days and watched six events pretty much back to back, I, I, I should be watching WXW more. A really exciting promotion. Now, I'm recording this late on a Saturday, and I know tomorrow a lot of you are heading down to that London to watch the uh, Red Pro Rumble. So by the time you listen to this episode, it's released on a Monday, you're going to know what's happened. You've got an advantage over me because you're going to know whether Eddie Dennis has retired from wrestling or not. Because remember, he said if he doesn't win this Rumble, he's bouncing, he's off, he's never wrestling again. Now, you might not know that. Um, that might be a bit of a reminder for you because he mentioned it once in a promo about two months ago and nobody even really seems to have mentioned it since. So putting this massive sp- <laughs> this massive stipulation on the Rumble has, has seems to have had absolutely no effect and no bearing on it. Um, and I know, obviously, we're not going to do an episode for another two weeks. Um, so I'm thinking of getting back in the writing game. Uh, I'll write a review with that and get it up on Voices of Wrestling if Rich will let me so you can you can see my thoughts on that um, I kind of miss the writing side of things you know I've I, I been doing this podcast for a year but I've been writing for Voices of Wrestling for what about six years now it's been, it's been ages um, and I miss it you know I miss taking that time and, and being all arty farty and stuff like that um so we've got six shows to get through in an hour and a half. Um, normally I do two at a match. So I'm going to have to be really strict with myself here and stop myself whispering on. So let's get over to the Turbin Haller for the first show, which was Inner Circle 13. Inner Circle is a funny old show uh, because it's not a main show by any stretch of the imagination and it's held in the WXW training school um, just as a little sort of warm up sort of a pre-show almost to, you know, to get the crowd there really excited but one thing I noticed about this is I really liked the way they sold it you know they made a big deal out of the fact that there's only a hundred tickets to this show uh, that you you know it's not for everybody it's for the WXW hardcores and when you make that kind of statement, I, I get some people think that it can be alienating and it, it, it can kind of push some people to the side. But I think for people like us, it has the opposite effect, doesn't it? It, it makes you feel like you're part of something. It makes you feel like you're watching something special and unique. Um, so the, 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 that intimate feel, I, I really enjoy it. It reminds me of the old cockpit shows that Red Pro used to do. Uh, but a bit louder, you know, because, <laughs> again, it, it was a great crowd. Um, not a, a huge lot to to take note of here. Um, a couple of little things. Um, Peter Tiani was in the opening of this, and I, I think Peter Tiani is going to be someone who we're going to return to quite a lot in this review because he's ready, you know. He's a Hungarian wrestler. He trained in HCW under the Arrows of Hungary. And he's somebody, for those who are into the European wrestling scene, have just had their claws into for a little bit now. 
he's somebody who is inherently very talented as a worker. You know, he could do all sorts of amazing flips, amazing work. You know, there's no issues there. Still learning, you know, to, to a certain extent. He's not he's not the finished product yet, but he's he's way, way ahead of where he should be. But there's just something about Peter Tiani, a natural charisma. Like when he came out, again, like I say, 100 people came out. He's got a man bag around his shoulder. He's got the cocky grin of youth. You know, that you know that that really makes people angry. <laughs> you know, just he's young, he's cocky, he's a bit dumb, uh, and he's just an incredibly captivating wrestler to watch. And he had a match here in the Open against uh, Ariel Barrick, who again we'll be coming to later on. But he's just a star. You know, he gets this idea of having a rough opener. He can get a big fight feel. He can build an atmosphere. You know, and. What I like about him now is he's starting to really build on his wrestling side. And we see this quite a lot over the weekend. He won this match by submission. And he's typically a, a high flyer, I suppose, that very blue-eyed babyface style of work. But he's starting to add just little strings to his bow. He's starting to get a repertoire of things. You know, it's not just a case anymore of he's going to go out and he's going to do his spots. He's he's going to have a wrestling match and he's, he's going to match that match, if that makes sense, too his opponent. I think there's a maturity in Tiani that I really enjoy. He got close last year. I think he got to the semi-finals and he's had a really great year working in just slightly bigger places. And it speaks to a lot of what we said about this show on this show is that we're trying, we're trying to rebuild the scene, aren't we? Not we, but you know what I mean? The, the scene's sort of on its way up and he's one of those stars that's on the precipice. And I think now we've got five, six, seven, eight people that are just on that precipice of doing something special. And sort of the planets are all spinning round. And I think we're really getting close to the point now where things are going to align. And I think if Peter Tian is not at the centre of that, it's going to be a real shame because I, I think he's absolutely fantastic. There was another couple of cool matches on this. I really like uh, Massimo Pesca against Alex Duke. Um, he was sloppy in, in a good way, um, you know, kind of not neat work and, and the intimate environment kind of um, emphasises that, I suppose. You know, you can see everything and, it, and, and they that kind of sloppy, aggressive work ele- is elevated in that kind of environment, which I really enjoyed. Next up, we had Mike D, Mike DeVecchio against Jaden Newham. Mike D is another person who could be on the precipice of doing something very, very special. And again, we're going to keep revisiting Mike D because he's in 16 carat as well as Peter Tiani. And he's he's a bit of a... he's He's got that weird thing of he's a massive bloke. He's absolutely he's jacked to the gills. You know, he's borderline bodybuilder size. He's got a, a an angry chavy kind of look you know very intimidating person but then suddenly he'll do this dive that that will blow your mind it it, it could do these huge high flying moves and there's a little bit of a of a feeling of get your shit in with him you know there's a little bit of a feeling at the minute that he's got all of these great moves and they're getting him over so he's doing all these great moves and i think there's a few bits and pieces of work and story that he needs to think about but he's halfway there isn't he 
you know, it, it doesn't matter which one you've got. You you get one and you learn the other. And I suppose the athleticism is the hardest part. You know, I think of people like myself. I, I, I don't know if this is just me. This, this is a bit of a weird tangent. I don't know if this is, this is something that's going to make me sound really weird. But do you ever wonder if you could climb to the top rope? Like, not climb it as in get up the rope. I could sort of fumble my way across and, and probably flop over it somehow. But could you imagine standing in the corner of a ring and just being able to stand up for as long as you wanted? I mean, I can't, but Mike DeVecchio can. And he, he was great here. You know, the dive, the high flying, the bullying with this. And, you know, Newman is a he's a trainee and he's, he's selling bordered on corny a little bit at times in this but really this is all to get people excited you know he, he, he <laughs> i noticed at one point jordan screamed let's do this and then took a powder five a couple of seconds later which i just if that sort of thing's done with a little bit of irony i can get it but um i i, I don't know if uh if if it was done with that with that awareness so it, it kind of took away from it a little bit but again a lot of this show is to just kind of introduce people to wrestlers, I think. And, and, and certainly, we've got an amazing introduction to Mike DeVecchio. And obviously, long-time listeners of Eurograps Express, we know him from GWF. We've seen him do great things for a, for a while now, and build a bubble. And, and, and the position that he's in, he's taking that natural next step. He's getting a push at WXW, as we'll find out later. So, I, I, really exciting times of getting on the ground floor of Mike D, because he's he's brilliant. Then we had a tag match. It was Ava Everett, Jacob Crane and Yuval Goldschmidt against Becca, Danny Frey and Psycho Mike. I'm, I'm a little bit funny about the Psycho Mike thing. Um, for those who've not seen him, Psycho Mike does this, who wants to see a body slam gimmick? And then he he, he does a body slam. Um, it's very much comedy wrestling. I don't like comedy wrestling as a rule. It feels strange to criticize it in this environment and it especially feels strange to criticize it because the wxw cried up they absolutely love it the the crowd here and then when he's booked later on on the bigger shows were going absolutely insane for this body slam thing and it's one of those moments as a critic sometimes you you just have to let people enjoy things and i i, I know that sounds like a little bit I don't know if I'm ruining my credibility a little bit there because I think it's crap. You know, I think the gimmick's garbage. I hate it. But am I really going to sit here and say it's objectively garbage? Well, well no, because nothing is. But am I going to say that WXW and Psycho Mike shouldn't be doing it? Well, no, because everyone seems to love it. I just think it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit silly. And I, I, I find sometimes those kind of gimmicks, I don't like it. I'm going to sound really defensive here, so don't clip this and put it anywhere. But... I find sometimes the gimmicks that are laughing at wrestling almost, I don't really like. And I'm not being cornet with that. I'm not saying everything should be serious territory era stuff. I, not at all. I like a spot fest as much as the next guy. I think if you're going to start doing the wink, wink, nudge, nudge stuff, it's got to be really captivating. You've got, you know, not everyone can be Kota Ibushi wrestling a doll. And that really feels like the minimum for me. And unless you call to Ibushi wrestling a doll, it, it's going to be really hard. Um, 
Next up, we had our first view of Shigehiro Irie. Uh, I'm going to save my thoughts for Irie until later on because I've got in tr- not trouble before, but I've had a bit of flack before now for not really getting Irie. I find his matches to be a little bit stale. I feel like I know when he's going to do spots at the right time. Uh, the, you know when he, what he's going to do, when he's going to do it. I should say, I find him a little bit clunky. Um, I think he's fine. You know, I, I I do think he's obviously a good wrestler. But talking about WXW guys, Irie feels like a WXW guy. And they keep bringing him back, they keep building him, and the crowd absolutely love him and are so behind him. And he is a, just very likeable in himself. You know, he's somebody who, when you watch him wrestle, you're captivated by it. So, oh, well, other people are. <laughs> Maybe not so much me. So... Again, it's like the Psycho Mike thing, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to book him. People love him. And he defeated Elijah Bloom here again. Elijah Bloom's another trainee. Um, Just a great connection with the crowd. And we're going to see that later on. Um, Thomas Shire beat Gouliash Jr. Talking about people who are on the way up. I think Gouliash Jr. is being slept on a little bit. He's very young. He's doing this gimmick of... You know, he's from the farm. You know, he's another hung- a great Hungarian wrestler. Um, but again, there's just something about him. Think Luke Jacobs, but with a bit more of babyface charisma, I think. Um, and he, I mean, he was defeated here and he, he didn't do much this weekend in terms of story. But there's just something about him. You know, once these other wrestlers start to work their way up, then you've got this, you know, guys like Gullius to come in uh, and replace him. Uh, Tristan Archer versus Vaughn Vertigo. Never a Vaughn Vertigo fan, decent enough. Um, Archer's a funny one, isn't he? Can never decide on Archer. He's he's definitely got a charisma, um, but it's a funny one. He's a a bit hit and miss. I mean, he had that great match with Osprey the other week, but it feels feels weird, doesn't it, to compliment people for having a great match with Osprey. I'm pretty sure me, with Spider Bifida, someone who can't even stand up on on a top rope, someone who... Once, when I went to PCW, I went in the ring to get a mark picture. I'm not going to tell you who with. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving past that era, um, and it it took me about five minutes to work out how to get out of the ring. I couldn't work out where to put my head to roll. I ended up sort of rolling out of the bottom rope and kind of flopping and falling to the floor and falling into some people who were sat down and spilling the drink. So, um, if you're the sort of person that thinks you can't criticise wrestling if you've never laced up a pair of boots, stop the podcast. Now, I can't even get out of a ring without embarrassing myself. But there you go. First and only time in a wrestling ring. Never again. Uh, Then, the show finished with Abbey against Adam Priest. Um, Yeah, it's alright. You know, again, Abbey's someone who the crowd really like. Um, we'll, We'll talk about him a little bit more later on. So, as a show, probably not really much to watch here unless... You kind of want some background viewing. Not essential by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, probably the DeVecchio stuff and the Tiani stuff is is worth watching just because they're great. But that's Inner Circle 13. Let's get to the tournament proper. So we're in the Turbin Haller. It's night one, 16 karat gold, and just what a lovely feeling that building has. And I, 
don't know if that's in no small part down to the quality of the production. Absolutely amazing product, like professional level production. You're not, I, I don't think there's an indie that can match WXW in terms of the camera work and the lighting. Uh, the commentary is really good as well. You know, it's not the greatest in the world. It's 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 usually functional, um, occasionally good, um, but it, as a whole package, just a fantastic whole package. And this is why can't get through an episode without doing this. But this is why I'm getting really frustrated with Rev Pro because it feels like look, WXW can do this. The way sort of the transitions are where they they'll do these little vignettes of you know advertising for the shop that they've got or. You know, they do um, a love wrestling, hate racism thing and like sort of a little vignette between matches and it, it just it's produced perfectly. It's slick. You know, they've spent time and effort on it. I don't know if it's money these days. I, I don't know if it is. Maybe it is. I, I, I don't know. I'm not in that field and I kind of want to speak to somebody and I, I'd, I'd love to, maybe we could do this as an interview, we could do our first interview, get someone who actually films wrestling and tells us what it takes and, and what, because I'm, I'm sure it's one of those things where there's there's much, much more to it than you would first imagine. Um, like I'm really into my miniature painting, as you know, like my Warhammer and, and lots of other games and I've listened to interviews with people who've left Games Workshop and it was their job to take photos of miniatures. And you, you, to me, as someone who's, who's never took a, a photograph in anger, you would think that would be easy. But the amount of effort and you know learning about perspectives and, and all that stuff. So I'm sure there is a lot more to it than I, I realise. But WXW set the standard. And I think we can say that it's hard and we can understand that you might not always be as good as WXW, but there's a lot of companies that just aren't meeting that standard. You know, there are a lot of companies that are like GWF. I think HCW's production is really good, but it seems like the British companies are, are, are so far behind on this. I, I just don't understand. In an era when people shoot whole movies, do 4K movies and edit movies on their phone, I feel like a wrestling company should be a little bit better. But anyway, this was. So let's let's stay positive. Lovely energy. Um, started off with uh, Francisco Akira, um, and he defeated Lawrence Roman. Couple of talking points from this one. First of all, Akira has really become an incredible wrestler over the past 12, 18 months. He was always good. I remember watching All Japan... Um, I went through a stage of reviewing all Japan for Voices of Wrestling, written reviews. I don't know why. You know, I'll leave that to Paul Volsheed. You know, he's he's willing to suffer through it so so he can do it. Um, but he was always good there. But there's something about him now that that things are starting to click with him. He's starting to have well structured matches. He's starting to tell really interesting stories. And unfortunately, I don't really think he could do it in this match that well because Lawrence Roman I'm really confused by it I, I don't really get it I don't get the Amboss thing um, Amboss are Robert Dreisker Arrows of Hungry and Lawrence Roman and they're the big heels in the promotion and they're great wrestlers individually I like them all especially Arrows of Hungry Arrows of Hungry for me are one of the best tag teams in Europe 
um, if not the world. And I, I hope that they do one day get a chance to do something on a more global scale because nobody outside of our bubble seems to talk about them, but everybody in our bubble knows how amazing they are. The problem I have with the Amboss thing is that they do this, we're breaking things down, we're rebuilding, they've got this little catchphrase about rebuilding stuff and they're beefy, great wrestlers. Yet, they often cheat, their corny heels, um, you know, there's a little bit of irony to it, that kind of chicken shit feel where they're going to pretend they're amazing, but then cheat. And I, I think to me, that works always to the detriment of their stories because somebody like Lawrence Roman, he's a really good wrestler. Um, you know, he's got that monster thing. You know, he's 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 comes across, his wrestling character is he's not the brightest, but he's the toughest. And then he'll, he'll cheat and do, and do corny stuff. Uh, but I have to say, his DDT, Lawrence Roman's DDT, is unbelievable. I just think Amboss need to wrestle properly. You know, take the story. One we've talked about quite a lot recently is the Greedy Souls thing. You know, they were big, beefy guys who could beat up anyone, but then they were doing corny heel stuff. And when they stopped doing it, they were still able to be heels and, and for my mind, more successful heels. And I think Amboss, have, look at the talent in that group. They've got the chance to do something absolutely brilliant. And they're not because they're just you know, mired down in this sort of thing. But, you know, to be fair, Roman was good here. You know, he was a good big horse. He was he was great for, for dives and, you know, catching dives and, and that sort of thing. And it, I think what came out of this is that the two wrestlers are just on different levels. And it's not that Lawrence Roman's bad. It's just that Akira is, is absolutely fantastic at the minute and just firing, you know, just on all cylinders. Then we had... Um, Tristan Archer against Mike DeVecchio. Um, again, Mike DeVecchio rules. And there was just something about putting him in this big arena. And, you know, I've seen him in GWF quite a lot. And he comes across really well there. Because they, they do well, you know. But it's just it's a small room in GWF. And it's, it's sort of very compact. Whereas this felt like a much bigger venue. They do lots of crowd shots. And you could see that there was, you know, it says 850 on... Um, on, on cage match, but I'm hearing like around the thousands. And he he's, he walks out and just owns the room because he's absolutely terrifying. I mean, you, you just he's the sort of person that you you imagine seeing in a dark alley. Um, I talked about the Lanzarism all the time, about how, you know, Jay Briscoe. I know it's fake, but he still scares me. And Mike DeVecchio's got that kind of feel to him, which, which is fantastic. Um, Tristan Archer... I mean, he's he's a good heel, I suppose. He slows down the pace. He can lead. He can take the dives, that sort of thing. And my issue with this match, I, I think it's my issue with the show, I suppose, is that a lot of the matches were structured in a very, very similar way. And I don't think that that was necessarily, A, aiding the story that they were telling in the individual matches or be the best way to do a, a whole cohesive show. Now, it wasn't anything that was egregious. It's not that thing where two or three of the matches have the same finish. <coughs> Excuse me, but a lot of these matches, and this one had this too, would have the heel beating down a babyface and the babyface would make a comeback. And I think when you're looking at a guy like Tristan Archer against Mike DeVecchio, what you needed was just five minutes of balls-to-wall action. Let Mike DeVecchio, because he's losing anyway, so let Mike DeVecchio go out there, 
do his mad flips, do his mad power moves, and then lose the match and get over that way. But here he just kind of got beaten down, had a bit of a hope spot, but then got put away. And I, I don't think that really aided anyone. Um, again, we they, they, they definitely pulled this back because Mike DeVecchio will find out at show three, gets a push. You know, he wins a match and gets a title challenge and all that stuff. So it's it's not like it's the end of the world. It's just we'll start to see as we go through the show that there's just a lot of same sort of feel to the matches, same kind of vibe to them. That is fine. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with doing matches like that. It just felt like there wasn't enough thought and care. And I think that's the point that WXW are at for me at the minute, is that it needs that overall booking eye on it. You know, kind of that really seeing a bigger picture. You know, they book great people. <clears throat> they they present things amazingly. They've got a crowd that are eating out of their hands for, throughout every show they do. But I feel like they they could take that next step to, to being something really great. And it's, it's a shame that that's not really happening on this show. Um, next up, we have um, Slamovich against Abe. Um, I I need someone to explain Abe to me. I don't really get it. I, I, I know he's very, very over with this audience and WXW really push him. I don't know. I, I just don't really see it. Um, you know, what was great about this is this is the one match that I felt was a little bit different on the card in terms of the um, in terms of the stories because it was very much a contest between the two. They both went in and, get, and did eight minutes of just action and fought to exha- exhaustion. And Slamovich is a great underdog. You know, she's booked quite a bit over the weekend and we just see a really scratch and claw from underneath. And... And this was, a, you know, an upset, really. You know, Abe was expected to go far in the tournament because he's somebody people love. They book him strong and all that business. Um, but he didn't lose anything. Masa Slamovich gained. And I think that, to you know, if I could be critical of WXW's booking, I could also give them credit where it's due. And, and it's it's a very fine line, that, isn't it? You know, that Slamovich came over up and Abe didn't come over as being down, you know. And that's a credit to both the workers and the booking, I suppose. But... I'll need someone to explain what makes Abe so great because I just don't really see it. Next up, we had Shigehiro Irie against Metahan. Um, I'm starting to watch this, and as much as I said I don't get Abe, I'm starting to wonder if I'll start to get Irie because he came out and he had a different look about him. And he goes on to win the tournament, as I'm sure you know by now. And there was just something about the way he was walking to the ring and the way he was carrying himself. That, yes, the character of Irie, the, as in his, his, his personality's character, was still there. Uh, but it felt like he'd had that moment of, no, I, I'm going to win this. I'm going to take this seriously. And he really carried that all the way through. And there was something about that that connected me to Irie in a way that I've never really been connected to him before in WXW. Because like I say, I find his work a little bit repetitive. He's not, for me, the the greatest wrestler in the world. But I, I tend to see him through the lens of an import. You know, he's an import who comes in and he's going to do his stuff. Whereas this, there's a bit of a story behind him. And, and it, I think maybe it speaks to that thing with a lot of wrestlers where... 
when you start giving him a push and when you start taking him seriously, it, it works. You know, they, they get behind it. And I, I definitely saw that here with um, Irie. Uh, Metahan, you know, okay. Like, he's, it's stupid heel stuff. Um, my issue with this one is what I was saying before. Irie snuck this. He was beaten down and he snuck it at the end. And I, I, again, think about the story that you're telling. You know, you, you, you're telling a story of somebody who got to the semi-finals last year, who's consistently been an almost ran kind of guy, and yet he's now coming determined to win the biggest prize that WXW do. Because I think winning the 16 karat gold is bigger than winning the unified belt. It feels that way to me anyway. I mean, ironically, you do win the belt in this tournament. That's one of the things they've done. But it feels counterintuitive to me for him to come in with this momentum to then say, oh no, the story is he's going to have to overcome hardship. And you can tell that story at some point, but I wouldn't have done it in the first match. Not against Metahan, just beat him. Beat him in 10 minutes. Who cares? You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it was what it was. Uh, next up, we had Trey Miguel against Peter Tiani. I thought this was going to be special. I have to admit, this was the one that I really sat up for. You know, um, Trey Miguel, obviously, um, impact star, um, great wrestler, high flyer, all that sort of thing. And somebody who's working on a level that that Tiani is, is, is approaching, you know, that kind of indie star. And I felt like they didn't really grab the ball by the horns in this one. Um, I mean, it was good. You know, like I say, Tiani's got this this confidence. Um, but I felt like Trey Miguel was in a, is in import mode a little bit in this one. And he certainly wasn't for the rest of the weekend. But this one just felt a little bit... You know, they're doing rake and, you know, back rakes and, and rubbing heads on ropes. And I just thought, why? Like, what does this achieve? We want to get behind Tiani. Um, you know, he beats Trey McGillian. We want to get behind him. So, let again, let's have a bit of action. Let's have a little bit of fast-paced, you know, amazing, you know, anyone could win this at any moment kind of feel. Not Peter Tiani being an underdog. I don't think the underdog story needed to be told as much as it was on this show. It It, it could have been told once or twice maybe but the idea of all the underdogs are going through and then you've got four underdogs against each other so you you cut off the story straight away don't you especially because he sent you know Masa Slamovich was telling that story anyway do you know what I mean so yeah it just I was a bit frustrated by this one it should have been a lot better um there's a weird back spot in this that um Trey Miguel picked up I don't. I think he maybe thought it was Tiani's bag, but it was just a woman's bag. <laughs> like he just picked. Like I don't know about you, but there was this thing when I was a kid that my mum had this big thing about do not touch my bag. I don't. I don't know if that was something that other mums had, uh, but my mum was like, "You do not touch or go in my handbag." Um, so to pick up the handbag got you know it, it, it unlocked a, a secret childhood memory. Um, you know, there was lots of cool spots on this. Like, you know, as you'd expect, you know, Peter Tiani caught um, Trey Miguel in a lung blower and it was cool, but it was already a little bit flat by then. You know, great finish to this. You know, it wasn't a bad match by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it, it could have been a little bit better. Next up, we had easily the match of the night. Um, 
it was Ares against Commander. I know a lot of people know Commander now from his work in AEW. And I realised when I was watching this that sometimes I can be the reverse cornet. That, you know, I, I just, I sometimes just want to watch cool stuff. And I could sit here and tell you that at the start of this match, it was a little bit clumsy. You know, some of the grapples were a little, you know, they weren't really as fluid as they should be. You know, the, the, to the point where the commentary were covering for it at one point. You know, they were saying like, you know, oh, some great technical work here and it just wasn't. So it, it felt a bit odd. But it wasn't smooth. But then people started walking along ropes and, and bouncing around. And, you know, Ares just stopped selling, but I didn't care. You know, they weren't trying to tell a story. It was just a couple of mid-carders doing cool stuff. And that's what this show needed. It needed some exciting wrestlers doing exciting things. And I, I thought it was, I thought this was brilliant. How can you watch Commander walk along the ropes and do a ridiculous dive about five stories high, scraping his feet on the ceiling of a five-story building and not be into that? It was it was great. This match was easily the best match on the show. Um, then we had Davy Richards against Axel Tisha. Obviously, this one's going to be a little bit of a funny one to analyse, and 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 we've got to think about how I approach the Davy Richards stuff. And I'm I'm not going to go into that. You can you can have a look on Twitter and 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 find out what what's going on there. But there's been very serious allegations and he's announced his retirement and, um, you know, a lot of companies have come out afterwards and said we will no longer be booking them. Well, he's announced his retirement, so, you know. Um, it's tricky because you don't want to promote him, do you? And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm promoting him, but when you look at such serious real-life things and I'm going to come on here and talk about how good his headlocks were, it, it's not really appropriate, is it? So we'll we'll just skip this one. I think, you know, Tisha rules. I, I think his heel character is really good and we'll be back to talk about him later because he won the match. Next, we had Maga against Ahura. I've really changed my tune on Ahura. I used to think he wasn't very good. And I suppose if you're looking at him from a, a, a wrestling point of view, he's not great. But he's got something about him. He's got a charisma that's absolutely amazing. And I tell you what I liked about this. When we were saying before about, you know, we've got, look at the stars we've got on the show. You know, you've got big imports. You know, you've got Francisco Akira, Tiani, Trey Miguel. You've got the Commander Against Ares thing. Axel Tischer, all these established people. And what WXW is put two guys who are absolutely WXW in the main event and carried on telling their story. And was it something that they were forced to do? Um, was it something that they were sort of forcing in, I should say? Absolutely not, because I'll tell you something, Maggot was probably, with the exception of Irie, was the most over person there. There's something about WXW and their own that really works and 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 I thought it was great to see that they put it on 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 last and it, it was great you know just their own stories um this was a blood feud um you know I, I wasn't really into the story particularly but they told it in the ring and it was great you know the arrogance of a horror is just is palpable just absolutely you know he ripped a nose piercing out at one point they were 
the pile drivers in this were absolutely fantastic. Um, and I think if you if if you're a WXW drop in, if you're somebody who's heard the you know maybe you heard Alan Cunahan on the flagship, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to give WXW a try. These are WXW guys, and and these are the sorts of stories they're telling, and I, I think they've been really good. So night one, all right, you know, it was a bit of a night of three star specials. Nothing was really four stars. Maybe the commander against Ares would have scraped a four, um, but solid fun wrestling for the most part. Few issues with the booking, but we don't stop. We move onwards to. <laughs> are you ready? It's our yearly tradition. We're going to slag off ambition. <laughs> now, ambition is sort of a mini tournament within the tournament. It's kind of like the Hamlet of wrestling. Um, and it's uh, shoot-style pro wrestling. And I don't really like shoot-style pro wrestling. And I, I, I like shoot-inspired pro wrestling. I like you know, snake pit stuff, catchers catch can stuff, a bit of grapple fuck every now and then. The problem with, with having this tournament is, is it kind of breaks all the rules of pro wrestling and you've dumped it in the middle of a pro wrestling weekender and it just kind of exposes it, as in the shoot style stuff. You know, it's it's a suspension of disbelief thing for me. Maybe this is a me problem. But suddenly you've got this idea that punches that happened on night one of Carrot could be part of a series of matches. Whereas punches and certain grapples during this were absolutely devastating. And there's just a little bit of a mindset change that I find hard to do. I don't really like blood sport and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that if that's just me. You know, there was lots of moments in this show where people would do power bombs and you'd I'd suddenly think well why are you doing a, a power bomb this is you know you don't see power bombs in in UFC yeah just just really strange um I'll tell you what one thing I did like is the first match of this was Thomas Shire against Peter Tianyu and Peter Tianyu came out in uh in kind of boxing trunks, in like kind of stuff that Hook wears, you know, as if he's ready for a fight and he's sort of, he's he's moving his fists around like an old-time 30s kind of pugilist bouncing around and then gets knocked out in two minutes 43. And I like that, it kind of makes sense. Peter Tiani is as pro wrestling as it gets. So he lasted about two minutes against uh, Thomas Shire, two minutes 43 to be exact. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, 
And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network um next up there was kevin lloyd against bobby guns uh they hit each other and grappled on the floor um then there was roman against davy richards uh there were some knees in this and um, th- there was tapping out and submissions and that. Um, then we had Moodoo against Abe. Um, this one had lots of trips in it. Um, I believe the technical term is takedowns for those. There was quite a few takedowns in this one. And then Abe won with the most MMA move imaginable, I think. it's. I think if you were to look, I don't know if they record, I know they do knockouts and <clears throat> submissions for, for UFC fighters. I don't know if they record like actual moves, uh, but Abe used the classic MMA, MMA move, the octopus stretch, to win this one, which was really good. Uh, then next up, there was a guy who I didn't know called Patrick Borg, aka Cyborg, who's a, a real life German MMA fighter, and he had a, 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 an Ultimate Warrior tattoo on him, and he clearly loved wrestling and he wanted to be there. And this was the best match on the show. And do you know why it was the best match on the show? Because it was a wrestling match. Amboss came out and it was all arrogance and, 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 and that sort of thing. And people were getting German and being booted out the ring. And it engaged me in a pro wrestling story way. They weren't rolling around on the floor, putting each other in pretend arm bars and all that business. It was a wrestling match and it was great. And the crowd were the most into this. The crowd were like a, a clap crowd for most of this. And okay, we can sit here and pretend that they were being respectful. And maybe some of them enjoyed it and like, scratching the chin i'm willing to bet most of them were bored because i was bored for most of this it was only about an hour and a half uh but this is what pro wrestling should be this match i really liked it you know patrick ball gave a promo at the end and it was real and one of the things that i realized is is that if wrestling is going to rip off mma they shouldn't be ripping off the match structure because 
take away the fact that it's real and there's not much left. They should be ripping off the way they promote things, the way they talk in promos, that sort of thing. But don't get rid of the pro wrestling cadence. Get rid of that. You know, get rid of the my guest at this time stuff. Don't copy that. Copy the stuff from MMA. I thought, you know, this match was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, there was a spot with a knee into an arm bar that was that was great. And, you know, the crowd were really into it. So, you know, I'm, I'm back up the wrong tree. Uh, then we have Bobby Guns against Thomas Shire. Uh, this is the one with the pop-up powerbomb. Uh, I mean, they're just doing boring matches and then ending with a pro wrestling move. I just, I don't know. Um, and he did a powerbomb. And then the referee uh, counted Bobby Guns out, you know, like he was knocked out. And I said, well, we're going to see about 15 powerbombs this weekend. They're going to be kicking out of it. So I, I just thought it was stupid. Um, Abbey against Richard. Uh, arm bars in this one. Um, one of the things I enjoyed about this one is when Abbey was in an arm bar, somebody shouted, get to the ropes. In, in that sort of cadence and like very literal advice. It wasn't like a chant or an encouragement. It, it was advice and I appreciated that. Um, oh, interesting one here. Uh, Jacobs against Tisha. Not part of the, um, not part of the tournament. They, they, they build this as an ambition super fight. Uh, and this was good, you know. They, they, again, this was good because it was pro wrestling. They were being knocked down. There was a count to 10. Both men stood up at nine and started slapping each other. He had the pro wrestling sprinkle in it that believe it or not this might be a controversial statement but i want from my pro wrestling i want my pro wrestling to have more pro wrestling um i mean there were things like in this though that the ref didn't count when axel tisha was on the floor and i think that's part of the problem with this is that you you kind of layering rules onto what we're seeing here you know we're saying hey, there's lots and lots of rules um but then you're not really obeying them yourself. So, whatever. Uh, Abbe against um, Thomas Shire. Um, there was rolling around in this one. There was an octopus hold. Uh, this was probably the best one of the shoot-style matches, um, but they did an aeroplane spin in it. Not even taking it seriously yourself. So, why should I? Anyway, that was rubbish. Uh, on to something a little bit more exciting. Night 2. So we're on to night two, and I don't know about you, but I always think kind of the middle nights of these things are always the best. Um, there's just something, you know, we maybe we're established, we've, we've got an idea about who's who and, and what kind of stories they're telling, and the stakes feel a little bit higher. So, um, yeah, night two's usually the best of things like this. So let's find out if this was. Um, open with Tristan Archer against Irie. This is when I got Irie, I think, this match. This is when it all clicked. The look in his eyes when he came down to the ring. He never took his eyes off Archer. And Archer can be very hit and miss. He's got that arrogant, laid-back kind of feel to him. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But here, it really did. And, you know, he was a great prick here, Tristan. You know, frustrated Irie all the way through here. 
Irie couldn't quite do what he wanted to do and he pitched it perfectly. And I think here is when Irie could act like the underdog. I think that was fine. I think it would have been much more effective if it had come into this match with a little bit more momentum because he had that naturally in the story he was telling with his body language and in his eyes, the determination, but they didn't really tell it in the booking and the way the matches were blocked out. But this, this, it worked a lot more here and I liked it. Next up, we had uh, Commander against Ahura. Um, this is exciting. You know, I was I just when I was watching these two come into the ring, I just thought these are two wrestlers I really like. And I never would have thought to have put them together. You know, like when you, if you think of like a list of dream matches, and it's not a dream match, I suppose, but it's just matches that I never would have thought to happen. And I, I just I ended up being really captivated by it. You know, Ahura played the chicken and got caught and it was he was very pro wrestling and very corny but it worked because a whore is so emotive he's so charismatic he's absolutely brilliant um my issue with this one is that again wxw can often go for the tropes a little bit too much and when you've got a horror going for the mask you know oh lucha can't lose his mask and all that it's just a bit we didn't need this because both wrestlers are great enough to just have a match just have a really good match that we'll enjoy and will get over um uh, yeah just you know there was cutters into the ropes which are just really sloppy and dives which and sloppy in a good way and dives which are great and it just it made me really annoyed that they did like the mass things because it should have been better than it was and I think this is what I mean about WXW being on the precipice of something great. Like, it's not great yet, but a lot of this stuff is really promising and getting there. Um, next up, we had uh, a tag team gauntlet. Um, the crowd absolutely loved this. It was Rotten Flock came back and they beat Ares and Trey Miguel, um, Elijah Bloom and Nick Schreier, Maggot and Psycho Mike, Rambo and Zafaramine. It was 28 minutes, and I, yeah, this 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 wasn't for me. You know, the Psycho Mike thing, as I said before, I, I, I just couldn't get into it. But then again, I'm watching it, and the crowd are going wild for the Psycho Mike stuff. You know, Psycho Mike finding the hard cam and doing a body slam was getting huge pops, and it, 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 you've got to do it, haven't you? I just felt like... I mean, it was 28 minutes the match and they were probably in it for about 15, 20 of those minutes. I, I just don't want that from my wrestling. Maybe you do, but I certainly don't. But the crowd did. Next up, we had Axel Tisha against Masa Slamovich and Axel Tisha was absolutely brutal in this match. This was almost uncomfortable at parts, like the level of violence that they were showing here. You know, Tisha wrenching her arm, lots of knees to the back of the head. One of the things about Tisha's work that's so amazing is the way he always knows where to put a knee or the way he transitions between moves in a really quick, speedy way. And he was great at that here. And as I say, Slamovich could play the underdog. Absolutely fantastic. Um, You know, the way Tisha kind of dances on a suplex, you know, like he, he well, literally dances. He got her up in a suplex and was kind of doing ballroom dancing before dropping her. And, and you know, because it's pro wrestling, that that comeback is going to happen. And, and when it did, the crowd erupted. And I did too, to see Masha Slamovich get back into it. I think Tisha was a little bit comical in his selling. He went a bit Shawn Michaels here. Do you know what I mean? And it, 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 um, 
it, it, it kind of ruined things a little bit, but, it, you know, just a couple of steps too far. Uh, I think that was the story of this match in general. I think it should have been a bit quicker. And the, um, but, yeah. Next up, get this one. Just going to say the names. Tianyi against Akira. And my thing now, is, it's quickly becoming a cliche in this on this show and something that I repeat all the time, is that wrestlers get to a point where you're like, right, have your great match. You know, Luke Jacobs had it against Oku and then another one against Osprey recently. And you're like, right, established now. I know I know this guy can have a great match because I've seen it. And I think Tehani's at that point now. Have a great match. And if you're going to do that against someone this weekend, Akira, isn't it? He's probably the best wrestler out of everybody. And there's, there's a lot here um, in terms of competition. Um, but my money would be on Akira. It felt like this was building to something. And it's and it kind of built to nothing in the end. You know, it, it kind of went to Akira being disrespectful and, and kind of playing the heel a little bit too much. And there was lots of great things about it, you know, the way Akira would grab Tiani into suplexes. and The problem was it was just quite repetitive. Again, it's that repetitive in-ring story that, that Tiani was dominated by the bigger wrestler, as in on the bigger stage. And, they, you know, this had an amazing closing stretch. You know, they went for absolute broke, full speed against each other. You know, a competitiveness on that back end where it felt like anybody could have won it at any moment that was just missing from the first part. And I, I think I'm seeing a bit of a blocking out problem in WXW. You know, he, he just needed to... He didn't feel like they went out to have a great match. It felt like they went out to tell a story. And I know that's a really fine line because obviously great matches do tell stories. I'm not stupid. But as in that, let's tell this story that happens in a tournament and not just go out and tell the story that the two of them could have told that they were two young, hungry wrestlers. Um, Tiani's eyes on the pin here were great when he won as well. You know, just that hitting that 450 and the confidence that he could exude knowing that now that 450's been hit is won. Just just great stuff. Just really great stuff. Um, next up, we had uh, Roman against Davy Richards for the shotgun title. Again, same as before. Roman's grabbing referees and all that sort of thing. I just, <laughs> I'm not convinced he needs that sort of stuff. He doesn't need to do it. It's boring. Women's three-way. Baby Allison, Ava Kalaski, uh, Allison and Ava Everett. Uh, Baby Allison won, got the title back. I kind of think that this should be where RevPro are looking. You know, we're talking about them struggling in the women's division. Well, there's four wrestlers here in Europe. You could book any of them and it'd be great. You know, why not? I, I, I just don't understand. Next we had, and I know I feel like I've been quite down on this weekend and I've, I've had some issues with, with it. I've enjoyed a lot of it and had some issues with it. But I think this next match was my most disappointing match of the whole weekend. It was the Arrows of Hungary against the French Adores. So Arrows of Hungary we love. You know, Dover and Icarus, greatest tag team in Europe. French Adores are Ego Blanc and Senza Balto, who on their day can have an amazing match. And there's stakes with this. There's a belt on the line. 
two to be exact. And I'm I'm watching these guys come to the ring and thinking, this is going to be the match, isn't it? Because that's what you want of a weekend like this. You want that one match. You know, that four and a half star match that makes it all worth it. And it wasn't. This is one of the most disappointing matches I've seen in a long, long time. It started with silliness. The French adores doing this French kiss with the belts where they, they put the belts together and they have to spend 10 minutes going, ooh, and, you know, which that's the first and only time I've ever made that noise in my life. It started with a weird structure. He just kind of went straight into the mid-match. And not in a good way, you know. It's not a case of cutting the rubbish out. It, it just it felt like he just cut things off a little bit. Really weird structure. Like, they got an early crossfire, which is the Arrows of Hungry finisher. And then they just kicked out. And it felt really weird because... It, it came out of nowhere, and then he kicked out. And it felt like it neutered that move a little bit. There was cool stuff, obviously. There was pile drivers and moonsaults. But then, of course, we got people beating up referees. You got people cheating. You know, um, Dreiska gave, um, I can't remember if it was Dover or Icarus, he gave him his mask. He's got the protective mask on his face now. And they, they had a foreign object distraction finish. I don't know why they do this with Ambos. I don't know why they do this with Ambos. Look at the talent you've got in that faction. Look at what they naturally do well. And you're going against that. They can be heels. Dover and Icarus are such great wrestlers. They can be heels and still be good wrestlers. And you put them against the French Adores. And yeah, there were moments in this when Sens of Alto got going and I forgot all this and, and all that business. But I don't, like, what are we doing screw job finishes for with teams like this? How unsatisfying. I, I, I just feel like it's that that cowardly booking almost, isn't it? That you don't want to defeat the French Adores outright, so you have to do something like this. But why not beat the French Adores outright? They're baby faces. Especially the sorts of baby faces you get over based on how well they work. What a letdown. Next up, we had uh, Norman Harass against Bobby Guns. I'm not into this story at all. Uh, it's Norman Harass is the boss and he's, he's, he's a bully. and It's WWE stuff. That's what it is. It's this obsession that companies have with who's in charge with the booker and bleeding that into storylines. And Obviously, I know Norman Harass isn't the booker. You know, it's, it's, it's work stuff, but it's just... You know, he's the director of sports or whatever they call it. And it, I don't know. I, I just don't know why people like this so much. But again, like I'm going to say to you, like I said earlier on, the crowd loved this. Um, you know, Bobby Guns was so over, um, especially when, uh, what's he called, Michael McKnight came out and only friends got back together. You know, that was a, a huge moment that everybody in the arena absolutely loved. And, it, it, you know, it wasn't for me. It, it, it's just, you know, ref bumps again, distractions. Uh, at the end, you know, the ending of this is Lavaniel came out because everybody came out. Um, 
what's he called? The he's the used to be hairy and now he's bald. He's a, a really famous German wrestler who everybody knows. You you're screaming your name at me, but yeah, anyway, you'll get it. Um, he came out and they beat up all the refs, and uh, Lavagnol won the match. Uh, sorry, Lavagnol. Uh, Bobby Guns won the match by Lavagnol counting because Lavagnol just put on a referee shirt. And we went, yeah, that counts. So all this kayfabe bollocks about referee licenses. It's not true, is it? All you've got to do is mug a footlocker employee for their work uniform and jobs are good. So I kind of came away with night two. I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy night two. And I enjoyed everything so far. It just felt like a bit of a series of three-star specials. And we didn't really get that great match. Um, we didn't get it on Wheel of Wrestling either, which which came next. I'm going to skip that show um, just for, for time purposes, really. Um, there wasn't a great deal on it. There was Jacobs against Goulias Jr., which was two big lads battering each other. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, but again, just a series of three-star specials. But we do have to get on to the final because it's all been leading to this moment. We've got night three, 16 karat gold. Let's see how it all ends. We started off with Ahura against Irie. And I'm convinced that as this weekend went on, Ahura's shorts got smaller and smaller and smaller. They were barely there at this point. It's like something Deborah would have worn in uh, in WWF. It was it was it was borderline obscene. You know, they look great though. If listen, if I could get away with wearing duds that small, I'd wear them. But you know, I'm not good looking like a horror is. Um, I I really like this one. I think this was probably Irie's best match, um, apart from the final, because uh, it started off with just this big boot from Ahura right to his face and we were right into action uh, to begin with and I, I, I really got into that, you know, just quick nine-minute match that started off with action. Um, I would have liked to have watched this unspoiled, I thought. And it's tricky with WXW because, you know, there's stuff on Twitter everywhere and before you know it, you know what's happened. They do get things out really quick. You know, they get things out within a couple of days. But it's inevitable that you're going to end up watching it spoil. And I, w- I think if I had watched this unspoiled, I'd have got behind Irie a lot more in this one. Because I thought Ahura was great. You know, um, the big rope flip that he does, you know, the big twisting thing was great. Um, do you know what I think it is with Irie? The move that I don't like, and I noticed it in this, is it's like the wrestling will start and then you know about... Five minutes into the match, he's going to do that move where he leans on the ropes, flips down, gets a two count, and looks shocked that he gets a two count. And I know wrestlers have moves they do that get near falls every time, but it just feels really exposing because Irie always does that move so early and always looks shocked that he didn't get the pinfall. You know what I mean? Uh, But this, the crowd were insane for this. It had so much momentum at the end. And it, it, it was... a a, a a really fast-paced ending that it needed, again, to get that momentum from Irie. And it was at times like this that they got that he needed that momentum, but they just didn't do it consistently enough, I didn't think. 
there was a really good promo at the end of this. Well, there was a good promo with one thing that absolutely killed it. I really liked the way Ahura spoke. You know, he had a great reality to it. You know, basically saying that people ask him, does it bother you that people boo you? You know, that people don't like you. And it was dripping with insecurity, the anger, insecure sort of feeling to it, where he was saying to the crowd, I don't care. But you can tell that actually he probably does. Um, and then Maggot came out um, and, and and put him in a sort of that rope thing where they, and challenged him to a street fight. And those two, it's all going to come to a head because, you know, Ahura's been kicking Maggot's girlfriend in the face and stuff like that. So, you know, he's obviously going to come to a head. Um, the thing that absolutely killed this, and I, the crowd have been great all week, but there was something about what they did during this promo that absolutely killed what should have been a brilliant promo. Do you know what they did? What chance? I, I just don't get it. It's not funny. It's like the two count when they do one, two, and everyone goes, sweet. It's like the one fall thing. It seems to be something that people do, and I don't get it. Do the woo when uh, chops happen, by all means. That's fine. I will allow that one. What chance I've got to go? I'll even tolerate the two sweet and the one fall thing because, you know, they are what they are. But the what chant during a good promo? Nah. No. Really, really didn't enjoy that. Um, Next up, we had uh, Tisha against Tianyi. And Tisha, I keep saying Tisha, it's Tisha, isn't it? Tisha. Brilliant in this. Absolutely brilliant. Peter Tiani comes out, crowd are going wild, they're absolutely behind him, booing Tisha. And Tisha is stood in the corner, looking Peter Tiani in the eye and saying, don't listen to them, look me in the eye. They're not going to help you, you're in the ring with me now. And that's the kind of heel I like. The intimidating heel, the arrogant heel. This is what Arrows of Hungry should be doing because I guarantee they could do that even better than Axel Tisha. The start of this was so fast. You know, the transitions between moves were just were smooth and seamless and there was a pace to it. And the underdog thing here just made so much more sense with the way Tisha carried himself and the way Tiandi carried himself. There was a battle for big moves. They weren't just doing a spot. Somebody wasn't able to just do a suplex. They had to grapple and get positions in and and hold limbs down. And It was a scratch and a claw. And Both men sold everything in this. And I don't just mean sold as in this is hurting me. They sold shock and surprise and emotion. This was a level of work that Tisha does that I don't think many people on the continent can touch him with. I think Tisha's character and the way he carries himself in the ring is spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. And there was just a great little story in this that um, that Tianya injured himself. He caught his, his, his arm um, doing a move and Tisha just capitalised on it and submitted him. Just something, Just a little realistic nugget to sink your teeth into. 
I, I, I thought this was a really a very underrated match that not many people seem to have taken from this weekend. Really, um, I, I think that's that's a real shame because I I think if you if you're that sort of person that likes to sink your teeth into that little bits of minutia, I think this is this is where you would really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I thought this was really good. I noticed that um, BatBodyDrop.com uh, went three and three quarters. And I, I'm kind of in that right ballpark there as well. I thought that was really good. Although things quickly went downhill <laughs> with our next match, uh, which was a tag team match. And they're trying to get uh, Adam Marrick over. He's young, he's a trainee, uh, he's incredibly good looking, he's got kind of that weird 80s Led Zeppelin kind of vibe to him, very good looking young lad, and they're telling this story that he is struggling to find his place in the wrestling world, I suppose, he's it's almost like, I mean, I don't know, I, I, the story they're telling that he's hormonal and he can't control his emotions and he's getting angry, All I, I don't know what it is. But it was a six-man tag match, Ambos against uh, Adel Marek, uh, Pesca and Schreier. And it just did not land with me in the slightest. It really, really did not at all. Um, it was set up by a really bad backstage promo. Um, Dreisker decides to compete at the last minute. And essentially what this was was a squash. The Ambos and co squashed Pesca and Schreier. Um, Anil Marek didn't really have much to, to, to do with this. Um, and I don't really know what it achieved. I, I, I Get him over by wrestling. You know, there was the bit at the end when Trisker takes his mask off and he obviously had that injury that we talked about a couple of months ago where he got his face caved in. And he's like, hit me in the face, hit me in the face. And Adol Barrick's like, no, I will not hit you in the face. Like, what are we doing? Like, is this the best you can think of? What a load of rubbish. Uh, next was a singles match, Elijah Bloom against Adam Priest. This was fine. I, I really like this. Adam Priest has got kind of a dynamite kid look. And uh, the reason why, I was going to sort of just skip over this match, but one of the things that I really liked about it was that it got Elijah Bloom over in a way that Anil Marek should be getting over. That Elijah Bloom came up against Adam Priest, another young wrestler, who initially was quite insulting to him. He wrestled him to the ground and did that thing where he walked over his back. And then afterwards just went, oh, sorry, mate. He just did a handshake. Like, oh, I'm only joking. Right, let's wrestle now. That kind of really patronising kind of feel to it, that patronising kind of vibe. And then Elijah Bloom ended up... W- turning it around and winning. And that was cool. You know, that's how we get people over. And this wasn't any sort of classic. I'm not saying that it was an amazing match. It's not rated on cage match. It was, I don't know, three stars. It was probably a gentleman's three. He did exactly what it should have done. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really, I don't, I, I, I don't know why they didn't do that with Anil Marek. It, 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 weird. Next up, it was a four-way uh, for number one contender. It was Akira uh, against Mike DeVecchio, Tristan Archer, and Lavaniel. Um, Lavaniel's my guilty pleasure. And I know there is a sense of the car and noir about him. Not quite all the way there, but a sense of it. 
And I don't know what it is, but there's something about when Lavaniel does it and comes out and calls himself the Prince of Stars and he's doing the love heart signs and everyone, he just, maybe it's because he wrestles well. You know, that's probably what it is at the end of the day. But I don't know what it is. There's something about Lavaniel that I really, the fact he's called Lavaniel, he kind of, you know, he's, he's a, he's just a very hippie kind of character and I, I just, I really get into it. Um, it's, this suffered with the four-way thing, obviously, and it, it was weird, this. It kind of exposed the four-way because Tristan Archer just went outside and sat down in someone's seat in the audience and said, I'm not getting involved in this. You guys tie yourself out if you want to be all honourable, and then I'll get involved. And that's bad, isn't it, in terms of an entertainment perspective? but kind of makes sense for a four-way. That's the optimal strategy. The optimal strategy in a four-way is boring. So, but then again, this had so much action. You know, Mike DeVecchio, who won this, by the way, which is absolutely fantastic, just to get to see him dive his way across the ring, do all sorts of power spots, pick big blokes up like they were nothing. Just fast, cool action. There was a bit in this when Francisco Kira walked over the other uh, two guys' shoulders and drop kicked someone at the end. Just great stuff. Uh, and you could tell uh, quite a lot of points in this that Akira was kind of leading the way a little bit. You know, he was the, he was the ring general, to use a cliche. And that was really great to see as well. Uh, just fast, cool action, like I say. What more do you want? Um, really good. And Mike DeVecchio getting over. You know, not just over as in winning the match, he got over by showing what he can do. And like I say, we've, on this show, and people who listen to this, we know about Mike DeVecchio. We know he's got something there. We know he's good. And the fact he's taking this extra step up, I can't wait to see the title match. You know, uh, um, Irie against Mike DeVecchio, I think, has got the potential to be really good. Um, There was a distraction in this, by the way, uh, a distraction spot. Norman Harass came out and distracted Lavaniel. Um, whatever. Uh, next up, easily the match of the weekend for me. Easily the match of the weekend. It was uh, Commander Ego Blanc and Senza Volto against Ares, Trey Miguel, and Fuminari Abe in a 13 minute match that was just absolute balls to the wall action. Um, Ares and Blanc started by doing cool flips and it did not stop. Volto leaping her out through all the ropes, big drop kicks. I mean, like I said before, I couldn't stand on a rope and Commander could just jump up the top, run around, do these huge flips. This was just perfect action. You know, there was these are all guys that were eliminated, guys that have lost matches recently. Imagine, imagine not loving a spot fest like this. Imagine you're so angry about wrestling for some unknown reason that AEW winds you up so much that you cannot watch a match like this and just absolutely bloody love it. And I bloody love this. I thought it was brilliant. I, I'm four and a half stars. It's the best WXW match I've seen all year. Certainly the best match of this weekend. I think, I don't know if... We're not thinking match of the year level with this, but just because of the way wrestling's been lately. I mean, how many great matches, how many five-star matches have you given out this year? I've given out more this year than I think I did for the entirety of last year. Um, but I hope this match doesn't get lost because I, I thought it was absolutely incredible. 
Um, then we had the final. Irie against Tisha. I thought this was great. And this is where I got Irie. I mean, this was a solid... It was a four-star match. You know, it's not as good as the as the as the semi-main. But I got this story. And Tisha is just... He's unbelievable. I, I think he's one of the best wrestlers working on the content uh, working on the continent at the minute. Um I like the way Tisha works because he's big enough to come across as powerful, but that's not what he does with his game. What Tisha does is he sets up this idea that you have to outsmart him. It's not that he's stronger than you necessarily, it's that he's cleverer than you. And he sees what you're doing. the way he sells he lost this match to a choke and the way his eyes almost popped out of his head on the choke just phenomenal phenomenal stuff and the like i say the fact that he wrestles so with such struggle that he everything every stomp on an arm every submission has got effort and thought behind it just absolutely brilliant brilliant stuff you know, desperation of rope breaks all the way through this. If I'm honest, it was never on that level. You know the level I'm talking about, like the next level. It never took us to that place where I was completely invested and lost in it. You know, where I'm I'm not watching it. You know, those sorts of matches where you put your notebook to the side and, you, you know, you, you don't even think about your phone, your eyes are glued on the TV and you... You're feeling it on a more emotional level. Never quite got to that point. But from a really good work point of view, it was great. And Irie went on to win and the crowd went absolutely nuts. And I think that's... I hope they do a run with him, you know. I hope Irie gets a good run out of this because from the sounds of things, they're going to make some money with him and I think it's going to be really interesting. And having Mike DeVecchio, I mean, is that... When is that match? Let's have a look on Cage Match. I know they did a, a joint show with APC in Paris um, that I've not seen. Um, I know that it was defended in a three-way. Um, a Book and Eagle Blank. I don't know A Book at all. Um, is it a 16-carat revenge? No, anyway, I'll find it because, like I said, I assume it'd be a true colours, won't it? The next one. I don't know. It depends when Irie is booked, I suppose. But that the Mike D match, I think that's going to be great. So, 16 karat gold. What did I think of it overall? It was generally pretty good. I feel like if you're going to watch it the way a critic has to watch it, the way we're going to watch it, where we're, we, you know, we're thinking about things and we're putting it in the wider wrestling universe... I think there's going to be a lot of holes to be picked. And I've done a pretty decent job over the last hour and a half of picking out quite a few myself. But I think what I came away from this show thinking is there's an excitement around WXW. Is that the crowd are so into their guys and into what they're doing that it's hard not to get carried carried along with that. And wrestlers that I don't necessarily love like Irie. I ended up getting really behind them on this weekend because the the crowd did, and it was an easy thing to get to get captivated in and, and, and swept up in. If 
I wouldn't recommend watching it all. I would probably just watch night three, the back end of night three, to be honest with you, um, or just watch the tournament matches. Um, I don't think you need to watch the satellite shows necessarily unless you you know you want something on. But the switch to YouTube, I think, is great. I, I, I really hope some more companies do that. Now you can do that membership thing on YouTube. I think it really works. So the way WXW have done it, um, initially, I didn't like it because it was kind of hard to find things. Um, but the way they've done it now is that there's just a playlist with all 2023 events in order by language. So you can just find the English commentary, find the German commentary, whichever one you want, and everything's just in order. Um, it's really simple. I've just saved that playlist. When shows go on, I've got it there to watch. And you just get the ease of the YouTube system. Remembers where you are every time. You can skip forward and backwards without it shitting itself and all that stuff. So just, yeah, really, really good. Um, That's 16 Carat. Let's wrap things up. So I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into WXW 16 Carat. Um, certainly something I'm enjoying doing. I think WXW are a really rewarding promotion. Um, at worst, they're an easy watch, right? And I know that sounds like I'm dabbing it with faint praise, but you know, there's always a certain quality to them that I really enjoy. Uh, like I say, I'll have a think about what I'm going to do about the Red Pro Rumble. It feels weird waiting two weeks to review a uh, Red Pro York Hall show, so maybe I'll do a written review. Um I don't know what it is. I don't, I'm not, I, I, it's something about a rumble, isn't this really exciting? Uh, and looking at the card, I mean, look at, I mean, I know you've probably seen it by now by the time this comes out, but looking at the names that they've announced for the rumble is just, is, is unbelievable. Um, I'm going to make a prediction. Are you ready? I'm going to say who's going to win it. Luke Jacobs. Luke Jacobs is going to win the Revolution Rumble. And if... Or Michael Oku. Or Connor Mills. I'm going to stop. What am I doing? Um, anyway, yeah, like I say, I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget, get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a Eurograps Express room in there where we talk about all things cheese and cheese boards. Um, not had a cheese board for a while, actually. I walked up to... Uh, there's a shop called Wandering Palette just up the road from me. and I, it's just They have all, like, wines and cheese and stuff. And I, I walked up there. Uh, they do a cheese board. And I just I picked up a couple of bits... Um, I just went for standard stuff, really. I'm just going for, like, nice cheddars these days. Like, there used to be a time when I'd want something a bit gimmicky. You know, I'd want maybe something with fruit in, or I went for the cave-age stuff that I was talking about. Nowadays, I just want, like, a nice brie. You know, shove a grape in it. Shove it in your gob on a tuck. Um, that's the kind of thing that I'm going for. So let me know what cheese you're having. Get in the Discord um, and let me know. Um, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time.
Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.